Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Terminal Stock, the podcast from the Tank Storage Association. I am Nuncia Florio. Most recently, the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero published its policy paper, Powering Up Britain, setting out plans to secure the nation's future energy needs, seize the economic opportunities of the energy transition, and deliver on the government's net zero commitments. Today, we will look at what's next for the bulk storage and energy infrastructure sector and the trends that are emerging with regards to the supply and demand of liquid products in the UK. Joining me today is TSA's Executive Director, Peter Davidson. Hi, Peter. Hi, Nuncia. So today we're going to touch on a number of topical issues around security of supply, the energy transition and government's net zero commitments, all against the background of the recent publication by the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero of its Powering Up Britain report. Yeah, it's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? The new Department for Energy Security and Net Zero. I think they like to call themselves DESNES for short, but I may be wrong. Uh, And they published uh, a a paper called Powering Up Britain Report at the end of March. Um, I think it was the 30th of March. Yes, it was. It's quite a wide-ranging document that covers a whole spectrum of projects and initiatives to secure the UK's future energy needs. And I think according to the report, the UK currently relies very heavily on fossil fuels. That should come as no surprise to us. But over the past decade, uh, the UK has been making some very good progress in terms of transitioning to more clean energy sources. Uh, But the report also calls for a significant increase in the use of renewable energy sources and for the development of new energy storage technologies. Yes, and by way of background, it might be worth perhaps mentioning that the new measures uh, in the report, mentioned in the report to tackle emissions, include the introduction, for example, of a zero emissions vehicles mandate, which would require that from 2024, an increasing percentage of uh, manufacturers' new car and van, van sales are zero emission. Uh, with the consultation, uh, I think, having closed on the 24th of May, and also a new green finance strategy to mobilise green finance and investment in the UK. It's interesting because the government has also indicated um, its commitment to carbon capture, utilisation and storage, so CCUS, and announced that eight projects have been chosen to proceed to the next stage of support negotiations. It also announced that 15 hydrogen projects have now progressed to the next application round for funding under the 240 million net zero hydrogen fund. And for those who may not know much about this, the Net Hydrogen Fund aims to support the development and commercial deployment of new low-carbon hydrogen production projects during this decade, so during the 2020s in the UK. And it forms part of a commitment made by the government in its 10-point plan for a green industrial revolution. So we're casting also our eyes back to 2020 when that first came out. So there is quite a lot there. Yeah, as I said, it's it's quite a wide-ranging document and, dare I say, perhaps a very ambitious document as well. We've we've seen many publications in the past few years from, from the current administration and this, this is the latest of a, a long list of publications. 
When I talk about ambitions, it, it really also talks about things like ramping up nuclear capacity um, to up to 24 gigawatts by 2050, developing up to 50 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030, uh, quadrupling solar power by 2035, and phasing out all new and replacement natural gas boilers by 2035 at the latest. Some very, very big ambitions there. Yes. Uh, and it, there, as you said, it's quite the document. And just for completeness, perhaps we might also want to mention that uh, a revised set of energy national policy statements for consultation have now been published. Uh, and uh, these cover uh, energy renewables, electricity networks, gas generation and pipelines. So these basically set out the government's policy for the delivery of energy infrastructure and provide really the legal framework for planning decisions in this sense. Yeah, I think look, what, what's most important here is that, that what is clear from the report is that achieving carbon neutrality will require not only significant investment, but also coordinated effort from both the public and private sectors. We need legislation, we need guidance, and we need to make sure that there is investment in the right areas to achieve the government's net zero ambitions. Absolutely. And this call for coordination and partnership is certainly something that the terminals industry has been very clear and vocal about. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. I think sometimes people see the uh, terminal sector as, as invisible, but they are an absolutely critical part of the supply chains. We cannot, particularly as an island nation, be able to transport bulk products to where they need to get to without the terminals that our members own and operate. And they provide a huge amount of flexibility for those supply chains to move those liquid products to that are critical to our daily lives. Absolutely. Even if we think about hydrocarbons today, we are still reliant, we are still a nation reliant on hydrocarbons. And those terminals provide that critical infrastructure to get those products to where they want to get to. But let's not forget either that terminals handle a large variety of different products, not just hydrocarbons. Our member companies are looking at intermediate chemicals, finished chemicals, as well as those petroleum products I mentioned also uh, earlier. But also we're starting to get more and more involved with renewable fuels. If we look at something like sustainable aviation fuels, biofuels, etc. And not only that, we also import and process molasses for animal feeds. Yeah. fertilizers for farming and also foodstuffs for human consumption and i think the the infrastructure that those terminals provide effectively connects the uk's economy to overseas market as i said previously we are an island nation we don't have large pipelines connecting the uk for all of these different products coming into the uk so anything in bulk liquid form that comes to the uk is coming by ship and through one of our member terminals so from a terminal perspective, it is crucial that we have and maintain and invest in that critical infrastructure. We need to make sure that we can provide a level of assurance that the products that our members deal with as part of that infrastructure will continue to get to consumers, whether they're for energy usage, whether it's for farming and agriculture, or for our chemicals industry. It's critically important 
that our terminals get the level of investment to be able to continue to carry out those services. It's also important to point out that as the UK transitions to the decarbonised economy, terminals will help to balance the strains on demand from legacy liquid fuels such as gasoline, diesel, aviation fuels, and balance that against the emerging markets of new energy carriers in whatever form that that takes. And terminals are critically important to be able to deliver that transition. So it is fair to say that terminals will be a critical part of this changing energy equation. Yeah, absolutely they will be. I mean, for example, the government has committed to the end of the sale of new petrol and diesel cars by 2030 and for all cars to be fully zero emission capable by 2035 in its net zero strategy that we mentioned earlier. However, that doesn't mean that all of those vehicles are going to be taken off of the road by 2035. It's just new vehicles. And in July of last year, the UK government also launched a new jet zero strategy, setting a trajectory to reach net zero in aviation by 2050. And that strategy includes mandating at least 10% sustainable aviation fuel in the UK aviation fuel mix by 2030. 2030 is not many years away. And their aim is to achieve net zero for all domestic flights by 2040, with airport operations in England to be zero emission in the same time frame. That's a huge ambition. Absolutely. And the volumes of sustainable aviation fuel we're talking about here are very large indeed. And as part of the new strategy, the government plans is also to have at least five commercial sustainable aviation fuel plants under construction by 2025, a mere two years away. I think in that context, SAF production and uptake will have to be supported by the introduction of SAF mandates by 2025 with the aim to see at least 10% of SAF, and that's around about 1.2 million tonnes in the UK aviation fuel mix by 2030. And I think inevitably what this is going to mean that we will have to be prepared to import at least some percentage of the demand of sustainable aviation fuel in the UK. And if we import, that means that we will have to come through a terminal infrastructure network. And even for domestically produced sustainable aviation fuel, SAF, that will still need to be stored and distributed somewhere, which is through the terminals network that we have. And I think finally, moving away from SAF, the government has updated its, or recently updated its hydrogen strategy and appointed a UK hydrogen champion, uh, uh, Jane Toogood, I believe, to engage with stakeholders to understand the key challenges and opportunities for the development of hydrogen projects. Yes, we do have a number of strategies in place, uh, consultations which are ongoing or have just closed, uh, national policy statements and so on. But one question I get very often is what will this mean specifically for the terminals sector? I think that is a very, very good question to ask. It's a question that I guess get asked many times as well. Essentially, it really depends on the type of liquid or product that we are importing and distributing in the UK. If we look at something like sustainable aviation fuel or biofuels, we already have a very good infrastructure in place to be able to handle those new types of sustainable fuels. Um, they are not significantly different to the types of fuels that we are already importing, storing 
and exporting through our terminal networks. Of course, there will need to be infrastructure upgrades. There'll probably be a, a requirement to build new tankage because as I said earlier, what's important to stress here is that this is an energy transition, which means that we will still need to be able to serve the market with our traditional energy carriers, such as diesel, gasoline, um, and jet fuel, as well as introduce these new uh, products such as sustainable aviation fuel, which ultimately means new tankage. However, if we start looking at the hydrogen market, that's completely different. Storing hydrogen either in a cryogenic form as a gas or even as a, a, a hydrogen carrier such as ammonia, we cannot use existing infrastructure to do that. What that means is that we need to utilise the experience and expertise that the terminals have got in managing large inventories, but we will need to invest in the plant, pipework, tankage, instrumentation to allow us to handle these new products. And as I said, really that, that needs to involve a collaboration with lots of different stakeholders so that everything comes together at the right time and we can meet the demand, the future demand for the UK. Absolutely. So as the sector really gears up in partnership, as you mentioned, and in cooperation, to take part in this pool of opportunities. And uh, we know that the industry is already doing so. I think considerations perhaps will also have to focus on the resilience and security of supply issues in the interim, as you said, you know, when we are talking about legacy liquids uh, and so on, which the Powering Up report also points out too. So how does our sector fits into that. Well, that's that's right. But let's not forget that in the UK, terminals are distributed throughout the country. And it's no, um, it's no mistake as to where those terminals are situated. They are situated at strategic points. For example, in the northeast of the UK, and also in the Thames estuary, they normally have access to deep water uh, jetties, which allow large ships to come in uh, and offload and load products. So they are strategically located. Um, if we look at the terminals in the UK at the moment, around 22 of our member UK terminals are currently designated by the government as critical national infrastructure. And that's because of their importance in providing energy to industrial transportation and defence markets. So they are already recognised as being critically important to make sure that the UK can meet um, its, its energy demands. And I think most crucially here, transportation. The transport energy sector system in the UK relies heavily on bulk liquid, on the bulk liquid storage sector. Let's think about all of the different modes of transport that use liquids as an energy source. It's, it's a great deal of them. I mean, really, we're only probably talking about rail that isn't reliant on bulk liquids, but shipping relies on heavy fuel oil. Uh, we look at uh, uh, passenger cars, for example, trucking, uh, non-road mobile machinery, diggers, uh, steamrollers, all of those kind of things and equipment is reliant on those bulk liquids. And I think in the UK, demand for uh, diesel and jet fuel is heavily supported by imports. Let's not forget that the UK is a net importer of diesel and aviation fuel. And we also import around about a third or thereabouts of our gasoline as well. 
So the reliance on the terminals and the networks that they have is extremely heavy. And I believe that will be set to continue with these new energy carriers. I think the other thing to consider is that for several regions across the UK, for example, the southeast and the northeast of England, those regions are particularly reliant on imports of those transport fuels by ship. And a large proportion of those are coming from, if you like, the European hub, which is called ARA, Amsterdam, Rotterdam and Antwerp as the major trading hub for Europe. Yes. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, quite rightly, the UK has been a net importer of uh, petroleum products since 2013 and continues uh, to be. In fact, domestic supply and demand uh, are not matched on a product by product basis. And uh, whilst uh, the UK, for instance, in uh, 2021, uh, according to the latest statistics, uh, was an exporter of petrol by 5.3 million tonnes, um, some regions, as you rightly mentioned, such as Southeast and Northeast, are particularly reliant on imports. So conversely, the, um, uh, the, the domestic demand um, Uh, particularly uh, for diesel and jet fuel, is quite high. And in fact, the UK is one of the larger importers of diesel and jet fuel in the OECD. So that brings me to uh, another question, because this, is, um, this particular point is important, especially in the context of the conflict in Ukraine. How has this impacted the supply and demand of petroleum products? I think firstly, it's important to point out that the UK's import supply chain is designed to react very quickly to market demands. Uh, and I think the way it's reacted to the recent conflicts between Russia and the Ukraine has been exemplary. I think in general, um, consumers have not seen any impact in terms of supply, at least for products. Just by way of background, I think Russia was the second most important source of refined petroleum products in 2021, and that was after the Netherlands. And with regards to diesel specifically, uh, Russia represented around 34% of all imports and 20% of total UK supply of diesel during that same year. And then as of the 5th of December 2022, and more recently the 5th of February this year, The UK has banned the import of Russian oil and Russian uh, oil products and has also banned UK services, including finance, insurance and shipping, from enabling the seaborne transition of Russian oil and oil products globally. And in coordination with the G7 and Australia, it has also created a price cap exception to the services ban, permitting the maritime services sector to continue facilitating the transport of Russian oil and products by sea to and between third-party countries. If sold at or under an agreed price, that is the price cap that I've just mentioned. So there are huge implications for global oil markets and in the context of security, of supply and resilience. And again, this is another indication as to why our sector is so important to maintain those supplies into the UK and critically important that we can react quickly to global changes such as we've seen with the recent conflict. Absolutely. And at the same time, according to the International Energy Agency, global oil demand is set to rise to a record 101.7 million barrels per day, the highest ever. And I'm being very specific here with the figures because I have them in front of me. We nearly 
half of that gain uh, from China following the lifting of its uh, COVID restrictions. And some product markets, especially that of diesel, might be most at risk as demand growth recovers. Yeah, you you make some good points there. And I think if we look at what the analysts are telling us, they've reported that globally refineries, particularly those in the Middle East, have the capacity to increase diesel production. Um, However, what that means to the UK is that our supply chains are extended much, much longer. So traditionally, where we may have pulled product from the Amsterdam, Rotterdam and Antwerp trading hub in in Europe, we are now more reliant on longer range vessels, what are called large vessels or LVs, for some of that product movement. Now, the UK is less well equipped to handle large vessels compared to the IRA hub, a trading hub. And in turn, it's expected to maintain its dominance as a storage hub. So the IRA will maintain its dominance, but the UK itself will have to accept those longer range, larger vessels because the supply chains have extended. So do we have the necessary capacity for these uh, large vessel imports? Well, if we look at the top 15 average import terminals uh, and refineries in the UK, only around eight of those are capable of large vessel imports. And that's because of the depth of water at those ports are able to accept those larger vessels. So as a result of the projected increase in global demand, competition from Europe and limited large vessel jetty capability here in the UK, there will need to be a greater focus on supply according to vessel handling capabilities for import terminals and therefore a greater buffering of inventories will therefore be required. And what I mean by buffering is to make sure that we try and build in some level of resilience into those supply chains. So in this context, what springs to mind for me is um, that it might be important to also perhaps look at strategic stocks. Yeah, strategic stocks is is a very interesting topic. Um, If we look at the International Energy Authority, the EIA, um, their member countries are required already to ensure oil stock levels equivalent to no less than 90 days of net imports, which is discounted by around 25% to 67 and a half days as a concession to allow for North Sea production here in the UK. Um, and, and those reserves must be ready to collectively respond to, surve- to, to severe supply disruptions affecting the global oil markets. And they're basically there to, to ensure that recovery is possible during periods of disruption. So for whatever reason, there's dis- a disruption in supplies. We have stocks available in tanks in the UK available to, to ensure that we don't see any difficulties with consumers of those uh, oil products. And if we look at bulk storage and energy infrastructure sector in general, clearly that sector plays a hugely important part in maintaining those security of supplies. If you want to maintain a buffer of those products, those traditional hydrocarbons, and in the future, um, new energy carriers, then terminals and terminal operations are essential to provide that level of buffering. And it's also critical for the UK to ensure that it maintains sufficient domestically located stocks. Let's not forget that a lot of these terminals are strategically placed in the UK where their demand is required. So strategically locating the buffering stocks or the resilience of the stocks that we hold is also critically important. And I mentioned earlier in the context of new energy carriers, let's not forget that if we're starting to see sustainable aviation fuel, biofuels, 
hydrogen and hydrogen carriers such as ammonia start to take a hold in our energy mix that the UK requires, it's very likely that we will also need to treat those new energy carriers as we have in the past, the traditional hydrocarbons, and provide some level of resilience and security in those supply chains. So um, to summarize somewhat, uh, it is a very varied picture and quite a complex context in which tank storage companies are operating uh, at the moment. And to um, link this back to the Powering Up Britain report, uh, you mentioned uh, that the government does recognize the significant investment that will be required uh, and also the need for collaboration and partnership, uh, which we referred to at the very beginning of our conversation. At the same time, the sector, as I understand it, will need to take stock of and uh, reconfigure existing portfolios whilst at the same time manage these technology and regulatory risks in a changing landscape. Yeah, Nuncia, that's right. And I think one critical point here is investor confidence. Let's not forget that terminal operating companies tend to provide third-party storage on behalf of their clients. And their clients could be numerous. They could be oil majors or they could be traders or any other type of business. And we've been very clear that actually having a long-term and stable policy background is absolutely essential to promote investor confidence. And as we look to the future, it's clear that it will require this significant level of investments so that we can ensure that there are no delays in that transition, in that energy transition. But it's also important to say investment is going to be required to maintain the existing product stocks that we have and maintain the flows of those products to where they need to get. So if you like, there are two aspects to this. The first aspect is we need to maintain the current supplies of traditional energy carriers to the UK market and all of the other products that we mentioned earlier, such as chemicals, agricultural products and foodstuffs. But on the other hand, we also need to look for those policy decisions and investment that allow us to make the transition to those new energy carriers that we mentioned previously. And I think to enable us to do that, it will inevitably mean expanding storage capacity. And if you want to build new tanks and new tank farms, that's a lengthy process. You need to make sure you've got the steel. You need to make sure that you've got the land. You need to make sure that you go through the necessary hazardous substances consents with our regulators to make sure that you can build those new tank farms. That's not something that can be done at the last minute. It's not something that in six months' time you can have a brand new tank farm accepting these new energy carriers. It just doesn't work like that. We need to make sure that we have a long-term vision and plan that allows us to plan appropriately. And ultimately, our sector is capital intensive and the fixed cost element of running bulk liquid storage terminals is very, very high. So having that investor confidence is absolutely critical. I think the other point that's really important to make here is that terminals know how to store, import and export liquids in bulk. We've been doing it for many, many years and we have some fantastic specialised personnel that understand the dynamics of liquids, how to store it safely, um, how to import and export to ships and other modes of transport. 
and we also need to make sure that we invest in that specialized in those specialized personnel make sure that we've got the right people to carry on that work and also make sure that we invest heavily in the latest technology that allow us to do that as efficiently as we possibly can so it's really critical that investors have confidence in the policy and legislative framework that is in place. Finally, I mentioned earlier that working collaboratively and in partnership with our sector will be the key to seize the opportunities that have been highlighted in the government's latest report. And by collaboratively, we need to get all different players that are involved in these new supply chains. We need to involve consumers. We need to involve importers countries that are producing these products and will be exporting into the UK have to be part of those discussions as well. And and that really is very important in the context of the geopolitical challenges that we've already discussed as well. Times are changing and inevitably our industry and our sector has to change with it and we have to be prepared. Thank you, Peter. That uh, has been uh, an incredibly insightful uh, conversation, particularly against the uh, context and background in which terminals uh, have been operating. So thank you for having joined us today. No, thanks, Nuncia. Uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk to you today. This is such an important topic and there is an inevitability that all of this is going to happen. It's just a question of when and we need to be prepared for it. So thank you and, and I look forward to talking to you at the next time. Yes, I look forward to um, having you again to talk to me about other important topics uh, of interest to the terminals industry. So thank you again, Peter. See you soon. So, collaboration and partnership are the key words here if we are to seize the opportunities of tomorrow. Thank you, Peter, for your contribution today, and thank you for listening. Remember that you can find Terminus Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major platforms. As always, check out our website, tankstorage.org.uk, for all latest news and insights on the terminals industry in the UK. If you have enjoyed our podcast, please spread the word. Have a great day.